I'm the Reverend Dr. Jenny McKay. I'm veterinarian, curate and minister in secular employment, also an environmentalist, activist and self-confessed cat junkie. But believe it or not, I have never saved a catfish from the jaws of an axolotl. But someone who has done that is my guest, the Reverend Dr. Alan Wright. And Alan is also a vet and also an ordained minister. So before you tell us a little bit about yourself, Alan, can I just ask you about this experience of saving the catfish from the jaws of an axolotl? Yeah, so just, you know, what you think is a normal day at work. Uh, and I get in to be told that there's an axolotl in the waiting room with a catfish stuck in its mouth, <laughs> which, you know, I, I thought initially was a wind up, if I'm completely honest. Um, and then everybody else said, yes, we left it because we didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> at which point I, I was rather worried at what experience they thought I had of rescuing catfish out of axolotl's mouths. <laughs> um, but the problem was that they, they put the axolotl into the, the other tank while they cleaned out its tank and catfish have got these big spikes out the side of their, their faces. Um, and the axolotl would take one look and thought, oh, that looks tasty, gone to bite it and the spike had gone straight through its mouth. Oh, and it, so the poor catfish was now wedged in there. Oh, no. So I had to, relatively simple, just get a pair of forceps into the axolotl's mouth, clamped it at the base of the spike of the fish and was able to kind of pull the, the fish out of its jaw and then kind of let it loose. Some painkillers for the axolotl and everybody was happy. So. Yeah, yeah. So it didn't need a, a general anaesthetic, nothing like that. No, I was worried it might do, but uh, <laughs> actually it, it let me do it um, conscious, which was great because they, they're not the easiest of, of creatures to knock out. No, no. Oh, that is absolutely amazing. I have never, ever come across a case like that. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so, um, Alan, moving on to, to what you do, you've, you've said, of course, you're a vet, but also very interested in the fact that you're an ordained minister. So can you tell me how those two careers happened? Yeah, so I, I graduated as a vet in uh, 2011 and been working as a vet for kind of 10 and a half, coming up 11 years and then got this calling um, that I was supposed to do something within the church. I kind of felt, you know, as I'm sure probably you did as well, you know, the, you know being a vet is quite quite busy enough that the last thing I need is something else to do. Um, so kind of hummed and hawed and, and kind of played around with that idea for a little bit. And eventually went, okay, well, let, let's start this process and see where it leads. And then in 2019, I finished that entire pathway with us to the point where I thought, okay, this is a good place to stop. Um, and ended up being ready to be ordained. But I'm in the slightly odd situation that I'm a Church of Scotland minister, but I live and work in England, in which there, there are relatively few Church of Scotlands. So the question then came, what do I do with this ministry? Um, and what is the you know, what is the purpose of this ministry? I, I'm a minister, but what's the calling to, to do with that? And at the same time as we were exploring all this kind of where can we use, where can we utilise a minister, there was more and more stuff coming out in the veterinary press about high levels of um, mental health problems uh, and increased levels of suicide in the profession and kind of the, 
the drain and just the kind of the the dampening on the profession, which which wasn't there ten years ago, uh, yeah. or not to the same extent. I I don't think. And then these two things just kind of came hand in hand. And on one side, we're going all this information. We have a real need for something, and nobody to do it. And on the other hand, it's going. I'm ready to do something, but I don't know who needs it. <laughs> and suddenly, the two just kind of went. Hang on a minute. Mm. These link up. This is this is what it's supposed to be. Yes. So you hadn't initially thought that your calling was to be. I suppose you call yourself a pioneer minister, don't you? But yeah. it, it took a while for that to develop in in the thought process. Yeah, and, and yeah, initially I was thinking, you know, as your traditional ministers do, that I would end up in a church with a congregation, and I would, you know, preach every Sunday, and I would be kind of helping with groups and things during during the week, and kind of being part of the life of that congregation, and then ended up with something totally, totally different. Yeah, yeah. And do you think COVID-19 has made things much worse for vets with regard to mental health issues? I think COVID-19 probably hasn't helped anybody's mental health mm. um, at all. Um, but I think in those places where mental health was already a problem, such as in the veterinary community, that it has definitely kind of consolidated all that and, and heightened it. And, and vets find themselves, I think, a lot of the time in this kind of strange place where they, they don't really fit into any kind of box. You know, you go into all these forums and it's, you know, occupation and you scroll down the list and you're never quite sure where you fit because vet isn't there. And, and you're not quite sure whether you're healthcare or services or, or whatever. And I think COVID-19, the perfect example of that was vets were seen as an essential industry. Mm. So we're expecting to go to work. But vets themselves, unless they were farm animal vets, were not seen as key workers, yes. which meant that they couldn't send their children to school. And actually, during the first lockdown, they weren't allowed to leave their house. So how, how do you continue to work in a way that you need to see clients and you need to see patients to diagnose them and work things out when you're not actually allowed to go to work? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a difficult predicament, isn't it? They kind of fall fall between those two aspects don't they not not seen as part of the medical profession but yes essential as we as we know and how, how do you at the moment reach out to to people in the veterinary community yeah so this is something completely new um as far as anyone can tell me in both scotland and england there is no other minister doing this um, so this is completely new for the church and it's completely new for vets. You know, uh, doctors, particularly doctors who work in hospitals, are used to having a chaplain. They're used to having a minister who is there for them. But for vets, this is something totally new. So at the moment, it's all about just introducing myself, kind of doing what we're doing now, just having a chat mm. and just kind of saying, hello, I'm here. This is who I am. And, and th- this is somebody, you know, I'm available to talk to. So. At the moment, it's a case of, and I am restricted purely for time and everything else to kind of yes. half an hour radius or, yeah, kind of half an hour radius of, of where I am. But just going around all those practices and visiting and popping in and saying, hello, this is who I am. What's going on with you? Um, yeah. Because there's yeah. You know, plenty of practices that are taking on new staff or, or moving to different premises or really struggling for staff and really short staffed. 
and having to deal with that as well. So, uh, and every practice is a different story. You know, there are some that have yeah. maybe just got new management. You know, I can think of various examples of all these things that I'm talking about among the, the practices that I, I visit. And it must be really refreshing for them for, you know, have, having somebody coming into the practice who's actually asking what's going on in, in your life, you know, and what, what are the issues? Is there anything I, I can do to help? It's um, very different to the, the the clients coming in or, or people coming in to, to sell things to affect yeah, the practice. I think that's it. That, you know, that there's loads of people that go into a veterinary practice on a, a weekly basis but they all go in for a reason. You know, they've either got a sick pet that they're worried about, or as you say, yeah, it's a, a rep from a drug company or something trying to convince you that this product's better than the old one. But actually, you know, somebody to go in who goes, I've not particularly got an agenda here. I just want to find out what's going on. And I usually take donuts, uh, which always helps. Ah, <laughs> you've got a sweet tooth. <laughs> And I'm sure I'm sure people are are, are fascinated when, when they meet you. I mean, I know when I went into work, when I started going in with the colour, I was a bit worried that people would say, oh, look, she's, she's, a, she's a vicar. I don't really want to speak to her. But I find in general people were just more curious and very, yeah, very interested, actually. Is, is that your experience as well, Alan? Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, I think because this is so weird to, to vets the fact that there's a minister for them you know and you go in and go oh you're a, you know you're a minister you know what church are you with and going well I'm not with a church you know I'm your minister I'm, I'm here for we, we talk I talk about the veterinary community so by that I mean vets and vet nurses and and veterinary assistants and veterinary receptionists it's basically anybody who works in clinical practice and again I've had to narrow that down because we know they're are lots of vets that, that don't work in clinical practice. Um, but again, just for timing and everything else, to, to focus that in on those vets who are in clinical practice, who are seeing clients and treating animals, you know, pets or farm animals usually every day. Yeah, yeah. So so getting back to, you know, when you were starting off as, as a vet, well, what, what made you think of becoming a vet in the, in the first place? I don't know. I honestly have no idea. I'm one of those people that, you know, says it's something I've always wanted to do. I can remember all the way back in, in primary one or reception in, in the, the English system. People say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And say, I want to be a vet. And then lo and behold, what, 14 years later, when you know, turned 18, there I was going to vet school um, and never really deviated from that path yeah, at yeah. all. So um, yeah, one of those... Yeah. That's amazing. Straight, strange and unusual cases that kind of what I wanted to be as a child is what I am now. Yeah, yeah. And did you have pets as a child? Yes, yeah. I grew up, it was always cats or dogs or sometimes both in the house. Okay. But you weren't you weren't from a farming background? No, not from a farming background at all. That the closest thing um in terms of anybody else in the family being involved is my grandpa, the SSPCA. Uh, oh, and that right. was the, the closest I ever got <laughs> to any kind of Okay. Or, or even medical within my family. Yes. Yeah, I, I guess it was a little bit similar for me as well. I, I always was very interested in animals. And I just wanted to be a vet. I think um, I, I knew in my head I didn't really want to work with sick people, which maybe wasn't a very good reason. But uh, 
yeah yeah I, I was always interested in the animals so yeah a bit a bit like you since, since a child and, and it just happened just happened from there and then this this calling this calling to be a minister when did that first begin yeah so that unlike you know I, I can tell people exactly when that was oh, right. um and that was at the end of my first year at vet school at one of the back gates out of Glasgow University. And at one side of the gate, I had no thoughts whatsoever of being a minister. And I stepped through the gate at the other side. I was going, I'm supposed to do something in the church. Um, and it just and, happened as quickly as yeah, I And it wasn't one, you know, it wasn't that I heard a voice or anything particularly audibly. It was just very much uh, hadn't crossed my mind at one side and at the other side a really strong understanding that's what I was supposed to do. And of course, I went, I've got four years of study and exams to do. I'm not thinking about that at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're very, very much focused on, on the veterinary yeah. work, of course, while you were doing the study. Yeah. So you've got a very, very busy life. You're trying to balance these two jobs. What do you do to de-stress after a busy day at the clinic? I, and you know, I'm just a big fan of kind of, losing myself in some kind of fictional world so whether that's reading whether that is uh watching tv you know particularly drama something that's slightly kind of far-fetched you know i like kind of more science fiction fantasy superhero stuff you know if it's something that's too real i'm kind of like no that that that's you know too much mm. thought uh, and certainly not a vet program no <laughs> Come home and put it on. And there's, you know, the Yorkshire vet or something on. Like, no, oh. that's too much like work. <laughs> yes, there's something on all the time. And then they brought out all creatures, great and small yeah. again, didn't they? <laughs> it's like, oh, no. And of course, there's something clients always like to ask you, you know, did you watch? And you're like, no, oh, yeah. it's a busman's holiday. That's the last thing I no, want. Exactly. To I get home. <laughs> but I do know that you're very, very keen on Doctor Who. And I think you've seen every episode since 1963. Yeah, so there's a couple that are missing that they don't have. Um, Oh, what a shame. (laughs) I've just kind of disappeared from history and and don't exist. Um, But yeah, I have seen every single one right the way back from William Hartnell in 1963, all the way up to kind of last year's uh, Jodie Whittaker series. So I've seen every single one of them. Wow. And who's your favourite doctor? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, (laughs) I think they, they've all got their, their own merits. I think, you know, there's very few that I don't think I like particularly. Well, if I had to say one, probably Matt Smith. Oh, yes. I, yes. I like Matt Smith. <laughs> and Judy, yeah, Judy, she was the first female one, wasn't yeah. she? But I think she's going to be leaving quite soon, isn't she? Yeah, I think she's, she's in this year for a couple of specials, and I think she's gone at the end of this yeah. year. So. Yeah, so, so who knows? Who's going to replace her? <laughs> uh, it, it's like James Bond, isn't it? There's always about a million names yeah. thrown up in the air, and you're like, it could be any of them. You know, no one That's knows. Right. But I, I know that you've also got um, some other weird animal stories. Um, did I hear a rumor that you had helped a snake who was stuck in a Hoover? Um, yeah, that 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 is the traditional Friday night emergency. <laughs> so that. Vets for being so scientific people are, are so surrounded by um, superstition. And one of them is there will be an emergency on a Friday afternoon. 
that is exactly what happened here. It must have been half an hour before closing on Friday, but we're all getting ready for the weekend. And somebody phoned to say that they're they'd left the, the bit of the Henry Hoover that connects the the Hoover to the nozzle um, out, and the snake had decided to go through it and got halfway through and realised it didn't fit, um, and was now stuck in this metal tube. Oh. No. So we had to bring this snake in, and the probably it got halfway through, but the, the back end where all the drainage was was now swelling because it was stuck. So we couldn't definitely couldn't get through it. It couldn't go backwards because the scales, the scales don't go backwards. Um, so we had to sedate that snake in order to and then cut the ends of the Hoover to <laughs> expand it out enough to no. loop the snake up. And then pull it backwards out of this metal pipe. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's not something they ever teach you at vet school. No, no, they don't. They don't. I, I always remember I used to um, tremble when I knew there was one of these exotic animals or, or a bird sitting in the waiting room. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, yeah, we, we don't learn so much about all, that, no. do we? No, no. <laughs> Oh, my word, that is crazy. And I know um, as well, we were talking about, I know you like Doctor Who, but you're, you're also a bit of an actor as well, aren't you? I used to. It's something I would love to get into again. Uh, I used to when I was kind of, you know, school age, just going into university age. I used to love getting on stage and, and doing uh, bits and pieces and things. And I think that's that's good with you being a minister as well, isn't it? You know, gives you the confidence. Well, that's right. It's all the speak to people, public speaking, and and yeah, being able to to kind of speak and not being phased by a a crowd or a group of people, and just yeah. having that confidence. Good experience. Helps in vetting as well. You know, you don't want to go into a consultation when mm -hmm. the whole family's there and then suddenly dry up and being afraid to talk to people. You know? I think they do something in their training night with, with the vets that they get amateur actors in. Yeah, pretend you know, to be. We, we actually had it, or not. We had at our final exams, we had, I can't remember if it was two or three questions, but we had an actor in our, our final exams that we had to go and talk to. Okay. Which was interesting. It's really difficult <laughs> when you do acting, that you've got to try and acting yourself, yeah. And do it as an exam, as a vet, and not as some kind of improvisation piece, you know, like you're trying to go in and act opposite them, and you go, that, that's not the point. Yeah, yeah, a very, very different experience. <laughs> so what would, what advice would you give if there's anybody listening now that would be considering a career in, in veterinary medicine? I think, I think it's a brilliant career. I really think, you know, you get all sorts of opportunities and all sorts of different things, but I think people have to be aware that it's not all about cuddling puppies and kittens uh, and actually it can be really really tough um, we deal with a, a lot of sick patients very sick patients we deal with a lot of patients that we just can't get better um, and the profession at the moment is short-staffed there is very much a perception that vets and particularly veterinary nurses get paid an awful lot more than they do and I think yeah. it just being realistic that it's not the glitzy glamour career that, that sometimes it, it looks like on the telly programme sometimes. There's a yeah. lot of not yeah. so nice stuff goes on in the background as well. Yes, yes, that's right. And I, I remember it wasn't so long ago I was listening to a programme, I think it was this morning, and they were talking about that topic, vets charge yeah. too much. 
Oh, I was so annoyed about that because I just think people don't understand because you've got a national health service that they don't understand that there's cost to, to what you're doing. There's the drugs, there's a the practice, there's a the staff. And yeah, it, it is probably the fact people here to get NHS. That's it. I think it, yeah, I've always said it'd be beneficial if we all got a bill at the end of NHS treatment, yeah, you know, just to know how much it would have cost. Um, yes, and I think exactly. you know because we don't break it down in that you know just a consultation. We don't say vet's wage, nurses' wage, you know, heating bill, lighting bill, and all these things have got to be paid for. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think there's also a perception, you know, it is a vocation and it's a caring profession. And these are animals, so maybe you're doing it out of the yeah, goodness of your heart. You know, there's, <laughs> you know, there's certainly a degree of that. You know, we, we all go into this job because we care and we want to look after animals and we want to do our best for them and their owners. Um, but equally, we still have to get shopping in at the end of the month. And there, you know, yes. there has to, to be some way of paying for that, unfortunately. But you're right. It's, it is um, a wonderful profession, you know, when people and the colleagues are they're all wonderful and everyone's working for the benefit of, of the pets and as you say that the owners as well people take a great pride in, in what they're doing so yeah very good profession and also you know many careers as you know that, that you can end up afterwards in not not just practice. no no yeah so very very oh, very exciting career I, I think th yeah I, I think you know so often that you know people when they think about vets think about the people that they see when they go to the vets or you know, people that go out to farms and stable yards. And that's kind of where my ministry is focused, but they forget that there, there are vets in research in the universities, there's vets in labs, there's vets that go out with the army, you know, when they they go out with their horses and their dogs yes. and, and who help with animals in the, yes. the war-torn places that they're, they're going to. And there's all sorts of other things that, that vets do that people don't think of as vets. Um, so there's all sorts of things you can do with yes. it. But being being a minister as well, I mean that's um, that's amazing. I don't think I'll ask the question. What would you advise somebody who wants to be a vet and a minister? <laughs> <laughs> to, because you're you well, you're unique. <laughs> you're unique in Scotland, and you know as we've talked before, you're you're the first vet and yeah. and, and minister. I, that I think it just it just gives me such a unique kind of perception when I go in to, to speak to people because I'm going in as somebody mm -hmm. outside their workplace you're going as the minister you know that they can talk to and they don't need to feel that they're being yes. judged or anything is going to get reported back to the boss or any of that but equally because yes. I'm in that world in that community I understand what they're talking about and I understand kind of the the troubles of the profession you know that maybe somebody coming from outside maybe wouldn't quite understand or certainly would understand as quickly yes yeah yeah absolutely walking alongside yeah. them and you know all, all the ups, ups and downs in in the profession but I think you know just talking to you you are a vet you are a minister but you know for people listening anybody who's got a career and um, is perhaps thinking they've been called to ministry it's it's perfectly well, possible yeah. to, to keep that secular career and well the sacred career they're both inter intermingled though aren't they there's certainly you know in, in every denomination 
nearly every denomination has different ways of doing it, but um, almost all of them have this option to yeah, remain in secular employment, doing one job, but yet being a minister and, and fulfilling that calling at the same time alongside. But it's, uh, you know, it's a special career and, and that's yeah. a gift in itself, isn't it? And I guess that's why you you are combining the two. So that's absolutely fantastic. So um, what about plan- plans for the future? I know your, your ministry was curtailed a little bit in COVID, very difficult to go out into practices at that point. How do you see yourself, the frequency that you go out to practices, for example? How do you think that's going to develop? Yeah, so it's more of a just visiting all these practices, getting to know people, getting some kind of joined up thinking. I think the, the veterinary community is very good at mm. within individual practices. There, there's support and there's understanding, but then because the practice down the road is in competition to them, there's no joined up thinking. Uh, and it'd be nice to kind of build some bridges and build some some kind of community there. And even, you know, start to think about things like, you know, can we do events? You know, when you're at vet school, there's throughout the year there's all sorts of events that people were invited to and everything else and then you leave vet school and suddenly there's nothing and you you go off into your own little practice and you're stuck there it'd be nice to try and build something just to to kind of celebrate being vets you know I think we focus an awful lot on on what's difficult we focus an awful lot on um the the kind of the hardships but actually there's some really great stuff about being a vet as well and it'd be nice to kind of celebrate that and just be able to to take some time to go no do you know what this is this is good and we appreciate vets and, and particularly you know we appreciate nurses and reception staff that are often forgotten yeah along the way as well yes so. that's right and i think as you said we all still have a shortage of veterinary nurses as well not mm-hmm. just vets lots lots of potential yeah for people out there they're thinking about career in, in no, veterinary i think it'd just be really interesting you know to see where the ministry is in kind of five years ten years time once it's kind of established and it's a little bit easier than when there is some joined up thinking and we can start doing things around that at the moment it's i'm going to visit practice a this week and practice b next week and practice c next week and there's no kind of yeah kind of joined upness there once all that's in place people know who i am but really interesting to see how that yes takes forward yeah no brilliant brilliant well you you are you are called a pioneer minister, and uh, you are a pioneer because it it's unique. Yeah, it's what you're the, doing. The most pioneer of pioneer ministers that I know. So I know a couple, but uh, th- there's at least a couple of them doing similar things. This is completely new. So learning from them, but setting out on my own as well. So. Yeah, absolutely. So very very yeah. exciting, and I guess you've got you've got to be very independent and, and resilient as well because it's, it's a new mm. thing. But um, doing doing a fantastic job, and um, I know when we first spoke, I, w- I was intrigued to hear what you were doing, uh, and I think it's it's really wonderful. And of course, at that point, I didn't know that you'd done that other thing, saving a catfish from the jaws of an axolotl. So usually, at the end of my podcast, when somebody's done something that I don't do, I usually make a resolution that I will try to do it myself. But I think in this case, it's a bit difficult I'm to probably, arrange. Yeah. Probably quite relieved. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it is, isn't it? Well, if you come across it, so you know uh, it can be done. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that would be that would be a miracle. That would be a sign if somebody presents <laughs> me with them. Um, um, a catfish in the jaws of an axolotl. That would definitely be very, very interesting. <laughs> so, Alan, 
really, really good to talk to you. Um, thank you for your time. And I wish you all the very best in your ministry. And I'll be looking forward to seeing how it all develops. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you.